0: Joshua chapter 6, verse 3, And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days, and seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up, every man straight before him. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this day. Lord, we ask you to bless this word. Lord, allow it to fall on receptive hearts, minds, Lord, that they might take this word today and go forth and apply it to their life. All right. Joshua was just given the game plan by God on how to defeat Jericho. Now, a little history on Jericho. Jericho had never been defeated in a battle at this point. Nobody had ever defeated Jericho. It was known as the unpenetratable city. They'd never lost a battle. Nobody had ever breached the walls. The walls were made so large and so thick, and the purpose was to keep the enemy out. So now God calls up Joshua, and he gives him a game plan on how he is going to bring down the city of Jericho. Now, I served in the military, and I know there's others here that served in the military too, and anytime you go to battle, Your battle is going to be determined upon the game plan that you have when you go and you go out and fight. And it's no different in, in, in a physical battle or in a sporting event or anything like that. There's always a game plan that is laid out, put into place, a plan that you have to stick to. Now, in the world, though, a lot of times, circumstances change the battle plan that you have, whether it be in a game or in an actual battle. Circumstances that the enemy does dictates that battle plan. But in the kingdom of God, when God gives you a battle plan and God tells you how you're going to over, overcome the adversity in your life, you can be guaranteed that it's going to work. You're not going to have to make adjustments. If adjustments have to be made in that battle plan, it's going to be because you swayed away from the plan and not God. So here God lays out this plan for Joshua on how they're going to defeat Jericho, how they're going to take this city. And I'm sure Joshua at one point, while God is telling him how it's going to take place, is probably thinking, well, where do the spears come in? When are the swords going to be used? When are the chariots going to arrive? And none of that actually ever takes place. a matter of fact, when they march around these walls one time each the first six days, they don't even have weapons with them. All that is carried is the Levites are going to carry ram's horns up front to blast. And when you hear that blast, you're going to shout and scream. That is all that was necessary. That's what it takes when God goes before us in our battle. No matter what the problem is in our life, when God goes and he lays out the battle plan, what does he say? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty to pulling down of strongholds. All we have to have is faith and belief in the Deliverer, the victory through Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary, and we can have victory over that battle that we got. But the problem with man today is this, we like to try to operate in the flesh and at the Spirit at the same time and that flesh ends up taking away from the Spirit and the battle plan that God laid out for you, we end up deviating from it because we're not getting the results in the timely manner that we want to have them. We feel like God's missed it somewhere, or what the enemy likes to do is, all right, say, uh, say, Brother Jesse here, God lays out a plan for him to come over, overcome something in his life, and Jesse's going right along and doing it, and because the results aren't quick enough in his life, because he doesn't get those results right off the bat when he thinks he should have those results, immediately we go to plan B, which plan B isn't God, plan B is us. Well, obviously, God's not going to help me out in this matter. Obviously, God's not going to move in this matter. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to plan B. We're like, well, brother, you just prayed about that an hour ago. Are you going to give God time to move? Maybe God's waiting for you to wait on him so that he can do this thing in your life. But plan B always looks more beautiful, more attractive, more sexy to the believer. Why? Because plan B is the flesh. It's us trying to come through and not God. Now, if you look with me to Joshua chapter 6 and verse 10. And Joshua had commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, then ye shall shout. God didn't tell Joshua to tell the people to be quiet. When I read the plan earlier in there, did you see anywhere in that plan where God said, Joshua, command them to be quiet? guys move to the back that second's back and row that's all right now i got a place to jump up to here in a second but god didn't tell joshua to tell them to be quiet read the scripture joshua added that on his own why did joshua add that to the story why did joshua deviate and add something to god's plan when you look back 40 years before this 12 spies were sent into the promised land When the 12 spies went into the promised land, the 12 came back with their report. Moses had sent them in. How many of the 12 spies that came back had a good report? Two, two, Joshua and Caleb. The other 10 spies came back and they went back to their people and began to tell them how mighty the armies were, how great the people were in there. And immediately from that word, the people began to gossip and spread the word that they couldn't take the city, they wouldn't be able to go into the promised land. And they all began bickering and fighting with each other. And God came down and punished them. And everyone over a certain age was not allowed to go in the promised land because of that Israel had to toil another 40 years so that all those people could die. Why? Because they spread the seed of doubt throughout the camp. They didn't have faith in God. God had been telling them for how many years that they were going to enter into the promised land, and now the time came for them to enter into the promised land, and their own mouths got them in trouble. So now, 40 years later, here's Joshua. God's given them the plan. Joshua knows what the plan is. He knows how they're going to defeat him, but I believe in the back of Joshua's mind, he thought, you know what? I have learned from the last time. They're not going to open their mouth. They're not going to say a word because I'm not going to allow the devil to use some dummy in the camp to begin spreading rumors and tearing down the plan that God's given us so that we gotta walk around this desert for another 40 years Joshua told him to shut your mouth don't say a thing because you're gonna ruin that which God has for us And that's where a lot of Christians are today. God's laid out a plan for your life. He has put you into a position to receive from him, to receive from his glory. And we sit around and we dwell, we meditate, we talk, we gossip, and we take that thing that God has from us and it is removed from us because we never learn to just sit down and shut up and obey the Spirit. It is too easy for a believer when God gives them instruction to turn around and go off and go to their moms, their dads, their pastors, the deacons, and everybody else they know and start running their mouth about what so-and-so did and -and so-and-so did even though God laid out a plan for their victory. But we don't do that. We get too caught up. We get too caught up in everything else going around us and it's too easy for us to pick up that phone and start murmuring. The same way the children of Israel did. They began murmuring when the spies came back. And because of that, those past a certain age had to die before they could go in. So now, here we sit today with with our addictions and our our pain and our suffering and everything else going on in our life. You might be praying for a job interview or whatever it might be, and God's saying, just put your faith in me. Just put your trust in me. Allow me to do a work through you, not for you, but through you, and you're going to receive that thing, and we can't do it. We immediately go, and we begin to spread lies, rumors, or whatever we can. I've seen people that have been trying to get a job interview, and they will go around and spread lies about everybody else they are in competition for that job, try to tear that person down, but more importantly, but more importantly, those people in the church specifically those people in the church specifically that get offended by everything any believer says to them, people in the church walk around all the time now 'm like I said, you know how I am that 's not you guys, or maybe it is i don 't know, but we get offended at everything it's said to you well, I don't like what Pastor Cowan said today. That offended me. Or I come up to you, hey, man, I I don't want you doing this out in front of the building. I just don't look right in church. And immediately you were offended. People in church get offended over every single little thing. My mom didn't show up. I'm offended. So-and-so showed up and they know I don't like them. I'm offended. People in the church get offended over so much stuff so much stuff that goes on around them. I mean, you know, people outside the church do. I mean, of course, they, they bring it in to us. We weren't like that before, before the sinners started coming through the doors but we get offended over every single little thing. You can't give anybody instruction in the church. You can't tell them anything. There's the old phrase, you know, iron sharpens iron, steel sharpens steel. But when you go to try to do that within the body of Christ, when you go to do that within the church, everybody gets offended and they get sore and they get mad. And well, I'm going to stay home for a couple of weeks. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Why? Well, because I'm not happy because I got offended. And God's saying, shut up, man. I'm trying to give you a victory over your personal Jericho. And you won't shut your mouth. You're going to toil for 40 more years over something stupid because you didn't get a parking spot because somebody else pulled in before you. Now, nobody's arguing about parking. That's an example. So what happens when we get offended in the church? Let me say that the right way. So what happens when they get offended in the church? We slowly begin to build up walls toward God. Brick by brick, one offense After another, we slowly begin to stack bricks in our life. We slowly begin to begin to build our own personal Jerichos. And inside those walls, way down there in the bottom, is Nick, if it's his walls. You're not in everybody's walls, buddy, just your own. (laughs) Is Marty inside of his own walls? Whoever it is you're building those walls, and you're down in there, and the more you get offended, the more you get upset, the more you've been hurt, you begin to stack those walls even more. Now, now, don't get me wrong, it didn't start at the church, you began building up those walls at a young age in life when you were hurt by your mom and dad, or you were hurt by your brother, or you were hurt by your sister, and, and then you got into school and you were bullied, or or, or, or you were done wrong. We all begin to build up walls in our lives to close people out and to close things out. There isn't a person on this earth, including myself, that at some point Point in their life hasn't built up a wall of protection of defense because you were afraid of something or because you got hurt once you, you don't want it to happen again a, a key point of this in adults is divorce Your spouse left you, your spouse betrayed you, your spouse did something to you, and you slowly begin to put bricks up because this ain't ever happened to me again. It's the last time you'll see me feel this pain. It's the last time you'll see me go through this and we begin stacking those bricks. And then because we felt like that, we don't want our kids to feel like that, so we begin to to shelter them from that same individual and and parents, they run their mouths on this spouse and that spouse, and what are we doing? We're building walls now around our kids so that by the time we we reach the ripe old age, about 30, we pretty much got a roof over our head and we're pretty much... Screwed up, and then you got some psychiatrist down the street that's going to charge you fifteen hundred dollars an hour to try to take those walls down in your life, try to straighten you out, and all he's interested in is the insurance money he's going to get from you anyway. I ain't trying, do I sound negative this morning? Good, you know why I sound negative to you because you've got walls built up. If you didn't have walls built up, you wouldn't be feeling that way. You ever be around those, be, that's all, you ever be around them people? You ever been around those people that they're all negative all the time? Why do you think they're negative? Because they don't get any sunlight because the wall's too high. They never let the light of the Lord into their life. They never allow a little joy to come into their life because they've been so hurt. And then what eventually ends up happening is that wall gets so high and anybody that tries to penetrate that wall or climb over that wall, they're going to get hurt also because they're going to make sure that they feel the exact same way that they do. Man, I love it when it's quiet in a church like this. And I really, see, see Debbie, I didn't go here with this message yesterday, did I? There's obviously someone in here that needs it, Danielle. You're (laughs) supposed to say, (laughs) man, I wasn't saying you needed it. So he tells them to shut up. Those people had to be quiet for seven days. For seven days, they couldn't talk about it. As they marched around for the first six days, Jericho was approximately 3.2 miles in circumference. It's circumference, right, when you're going around? Or is that diameter? Somebody help me out, man. I'm not a math person. And Peg's back there with Jude, hoping he gets on the toilet. Is it circumference? 3.2 miles in circumference around Jericho. So each day, at this point, point, now you've got to understand the magnitude of this. At this point, the nation of Israel was over a million people. They get up. And they walk out and they walk around the city and everybody is quiet. Now, that tells me a couple things. Number one, the kids didn't go. That tells me another thing, Jude wasn't there. (laughs) So they go and they march around the city one time, not saying a word, and they go back. Now, this is incredible that a million people can march 3.2 miles and not say a word. Not say a word, man not say a word. Can you imagine if I was to put up a sign outside that door on a Sunday morning that says, when you come through here, do not say a word at all. Stay silent in the house. God, How long do you think it would take for somebody to walk in here? Hey, how come nobody's talking? Oh, how the word must have been spread. How do you think they passed that word down to that many people? Now, I guarantee you they they didn't just walk out to the troops and say, all right, guys, look, you're going to march around this city for seven days and nobody's going to say a word, and that was it. I just about guarantee you that he stood up and he said, look, 40 years ago we were in the same place and all your parents and all your ancestors opened their mouth and ruined it for us. Now, if you want to walk around in this desert for 40 more years, start talking. If not, shut your mouth. And don't say a thing. Don't say a thing. Now, turn with me to Joshua chapter 6, verse 20. Still in 6, verse 20. And they are on the seventh day. Now, on the seventh day, they had to march around six times. And then the seventh time was when they blew the trumpets. Now, you tell me this, how they got one million people to march around that city, a total of 21 miles in one day. They didn't march. They ran around that city. They ran around that city the same way Elijah would later on in the book of Kings when God supernaturally gave him the speed to run back and beat Jehu back to Jezreel when he was on the chariot. They went around that city six times. And on the seventh time, when they reached that point, this is what happens. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman. Women, you didn't get out of it. Young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Everything was killed. Save one, and that was Rahab and her family. But we're not talking about Rahab today, so that's, that's another day. So on that seventh day, when the trumpets sounded, can you imagine the relief, first of all, to get to make noise? And then to scream. I guarantee they had to have been hoarse real quick, because you go seven days without talking, that's gonna, something's got to go differently. But more importantly, they shouted, and the walls of that city that was impenetrable came down. What do you think went through the camp? How do you think they felt as they begin to scream? First of all, they were probably pretty tired walking that far in one day. But man, can you imagine as they begin to shout the relief and automatically you start seeing the walls crumbling. I believe as the walls began to fall, church, that the louder they they got, they seen the victory was happening. They seen what was going on. As the walls began to fall, as the walls began to come down, I believe that shout and that roar got louder. Why? Because they seen victory. I know you know what I'm talking about when you're watching the game. How many have ever seen the, the highlight films of the Miracle on Ice? And as the clock's ticking down, and it's getting down, and and you see the crowd and they begin to build and they begin to roar, and the announcers are excited. Why? Because they see victory on the horizon. And I believe that shout started out pretty loud, but by the time all the rubble and the rock hit the ground, I believe it was a great, mighty roar that was taking place. Now here comes another miracle that took place on that day. You're talking about a million people that have just walked 21 miles, and they still got. The the strength to go in and defeat the enemy and take the city. Still had the strength to go in and take the city, but we don't have the strength to get up and come to church on Sunday morning on a regular basis. Not you guys. You guys are here. Just look around. They went in and took the city. Killed them all. Kids killed them. Women killed them. Well, why would God do that? Why would God kill those poor kids? Why would he kill those women? He was destroying the seed that was in Jericho so that it would never come back again, save one, and that was Rahab and her family. Rahab and her family were spared. Everyone else was killed, all the way down to the smallest child so that it could not come back against the nation of israel now that one person that was saved and this i don't even know why i'm going here with rahab but i'm going to say it anyway rahab was the one person out of jericho that was spared now what did what was rahab famous for okay she was a harlot she was a whore the spies came in and she hid them and she allowed them to escape the city and because of that she said the only thing i want in return is for my family to be delivered when you come in and you do it and they were delivered but now when you go and you read in the bible the genealogy of jesus who's in jesus's genealogy Rahab, the only seed that was allowed to survive out of Jericho, was part of the seed that brought forth Christ. So all the bad seed was destroyed. Gone, Wiped out. Why? How does that pertain to you and I? I know what you're saying. Brother Gowan, that's pretty morbid talking about all these kids getting, getting slaughtered and killed. What has that got to do with me? I'm going to tell you. When you've got the victory and you shout and you holler and you give it to God and your own personal walls come down, don't hold on to one point of that because that one little piece, that one little seed that you hold on to will come back and it will begin to mature. It will begin to grow and it will come back into your life. And as the Bible says, seven times. I'm stronger than it was before it left. But see, God gives us the victory. God gives us deliverance over things in our life, and we don't let it go. We get rid of all of it, but we're like, you know what? I'm going to hold on to just this one little bottle right here, and I'm going to keep it there just in case somewhere down the road I need it and I want to fall back on it. And God's saying, get rid of it, man. I just took your walls down. You don't have to carry that burden. You don't have to carry that sorrow. You don't have to carry that pain. I understand that you were molested as a child. I understand you were abused as a wife. I understand that you were raped at some point in your life. I understand you were addicted to drugs. I understand that you suffer from anxiety, that you suffer from fear, that you've never been treated the way God intended you to be treated. I understand all those things, but at some point in your life, you've got to let them go, because if you keep returning to them, you're never going to get to complete victory, and you will take the rubble that God has there and has destroyed, and it will begin to be stacked back up, brick by brick, and you'll be right back where you started at. God's saying, cut it all asunder. Get rid of it. Wipe it out. Wipe the pad out. That's what he's done. Leave it in the past. Yeah. Everybody shout. Yeah. Oh, come on. You think that's how they shout out of Jericho? I'm going to count one, two, three, and I want you to shout as if you were at Jericho that day. One, two, three. Yeah. Listen to that, man. Listen to that. You know what that is? That's the sound of victory. That's the sound of victory. Oh, praise God. Can you imagine if you're inside the walls of Jericho looking down on oil? I don't know. This is the seventh day they've done it. But they've been around five days today, five times today, Earl. Where do you think NASCAR got the idea from? (laughs) They've gone around to see. This is the sixth time, man. Look at that. This is awesome. These dummies don't know. They're, They're dizzy. Look, that one's drunk. Drunk in the spirit, brother. Here we go around. Hey look, here comes the front of the line again. It's about to be the end of the seventh time. Look at this. I guess they're just gonna keep doing it till they they walk walk themselves to death. Hey, what's that noise? Sounds like a trumpet off in the distance. I'm starting to hear a a, a roar. Oh, I'm starting to hear a loud roar, and all of a sudden the ground starts shaking beneath their feet. What is it? What do you think it is? I think it's what we've been hearing about. It's the nation of Israel getting victory. Oh, the ground was shaking beneath their feet. As the walls began to fall, they knew what was taking place. They were being defeated by the power of an almighty God. The same way when Peter and John went out after the day of Pentecost, and it says the ground was shaken, and three thousand were added into the kingdom of God. God wants to shake your personal walls today and bring them down. You've got to allow him to do it. Shout to God. Come on. Get the victory and the deliverance in your life. If it means you got to stand up every morning, look in the mirror and shout the way they did it. Jericho, shout by all means. Shout. Turn with me to Luke in the 18th chapter. We're just about done, maybe. <laughs> Luke chapter 18, verse 35. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto what? Here, let me say that again. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto what? Come on, man. Jesse, I want to hear you say Jericho this time. <laughs> and it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho. Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, and hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by, and he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. When it says cried there, translated from the Greek, it means he shouted. Jesus, have mercy on me. And they which went before him, the church, rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And he was come near. He asked him, saying, what wilt thou shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive thy sight. And he said, receive thy sight. Thy faith have saved thee. So now, 4,000 years later, here comes Christ into the same city that 4,000 years before. What happened? Not a trick question. They shouted and the walls came down. So now, here comes Christ about to enter into the city, and there's a blind man standing out in the same city. What, what city did it say it was? jericho and you've got a blind man who's put up walls around his life because he's blind though he's been inflicted he can't see let me tell you something when you're blind everything is a wall in your life but i believe at that time blind bartimaeus was sitting there and that was his name blind bartimaeus like well bartimaeus not blind bartimaeus but I believe he was sitting outside that wall and I believe he was sitting there thinking, he's like, praise God. Man, 4,000 years ago, the children of Israel stood outside these walls and there was a great victory. Why? Because they shouted. And he began to cry out. He began to shout out to, the, to Christ. He knew who was coming, the Savior of the universe, the one that he'd been hearing and been healing everybody, that people have been raised up from the dead, the lame have been able to walk. And he hears this and he knows it. And he's standing outside the same rubble that fell with a shout of victory. And he begins to yell, shout, and holler. And the only people there, that tried to shut him up was Christ's own people that went before him, the church. The church tried to shut him up. But oh praise God when you get to that point in your life when you have nowhere else to turn nothing else in your world that you have tried to help you that you have tried to get to solve your situation, will work and and the church comes and they try to shut you down but praise God for the believer that will persevere and say get out of my way I've got to get to the throne the same way Bartimaeus did he hollered he shouted and on that day at the same location in Jericho a shout and a holler led to walls coming down and a victory taking place in Bartimaeus' life. Church, what is it going to take for you to shout unto God at your own personal Jericho to get those walls to come down the same way it did for the children of Israel, the same way it did for Bartimaeus? God wants to deliver you, but you must cry out to him. Praise the Lord. Shout. Well, I'm glad they make them out of drywall not brick anymore. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yes, Lord. There are churches all over the world that are afraid to open their mouth and shout in the house of God because they've been told for so many years it's wrong to do it. And that's just a wall that those that have gone before us have put up the same way they did for Bartimaeus in the Bible. Amen. There's nothing wrong with getting into the house of God and shouting. Clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. With a voice of what? Triumph. With a voice of what? Triumph. It doesn't say shout. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I don't know who that was that just yelled like that over there. It doesn't say clap your hands, all ye people. and whisper and mumble under your breath to God with a voice of triumph. That's not triumph. That's not victory. How many times have any of us in our life ever had the victory or celebrated anything that we sat down quiet and still and never showed any emotion? We don't do that. How many people in here have grandchildren? And when that grandchild was born, how did you feel? There was an excitement there. If, you had, if they had phones back then when your grandchildren were born, Gene? <laughs> <Jean. laughs> how many people, when your grandchild was born, first thing, you, you was on the phone immediately telling everybody about it. Or when your child was born, you couldn't wait to tell your mom, your dad, your friends, and everybody that was important in your life. Why? Because you were excited because something happened. There was a change. There was life. There was rebirth. And that's what God wants to do to every person in here that has built walls up in their life because of the sickness, the hurt, and the pain that has taken place somewhere in your past. And you begin to build those walls up. God's saying today, God's saying through this message right here that I am going to rebirth something in you. And through that rebirth, birth, you're going to have to shout. You're going to celebrate. You're going to tell everybody about it. But if you're content to sit on your hands, never open your mouth, never allow yourself to feel the presence of God, you will be one of those someday that he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you, because he never heard out of you. How can you have a relationship with somebody that you never converse with? When something good happens in my life, you know who the first person is that I call? That's right, my wife. My wife is always the first person I call. Why is she the first person I call? It's not a trick question. That's right, because I love her. She's the most important person in my life. She's my best friend. Let me tell you something. Everybody in this room could die and pass away, and I would feel a lot of sorrow and and a lot of hurt. But let me tell you something. If my wife was to pass away today or tomorrow, something was to happen to her, I would be devastated. I would be floored because I would have felt like I lost that person that I like to joy and that I like to celebrate and I like to tell everything. But let me tell you something, church. That's what God wants to be in our lives. That's what God wants to be in our lives. He wants to rebirth and tear down those walls in your life, take that hurt and that pain away and build up a relationship with you so that you never have to go to that place again. But it might take a little shouting. On our behalf to get there. Can you say amen? amen. amen. As Sister Crystal comes, let's all stand.